like to invite uh, Farron's better half, uh, Julie, to uh, come, and, and she is going to continue um, the series that we started talking about marriage and family, and I know you guys clapped and invited her, but I would like for you guys to stand and welcome her one more time, Julie. Well, good morning, AVL family. Um, I just love how God likes to take things over and make less and less time for the speakers to speak. So here's the options. There's, there's no way to shorten this message, only doing double speed. So we'll see what happens. I may have to speak a little faster at some points. But um, I have to tell you that I, I really am truly humbled um, to have been asked to share with you all this morning. But um, I'll be honest, when Sergio asked me, I wanted to say no. <laughs> um, not because I'm afraid of public speaking or I don't have thoughts on the topic, but because this is such an important topic and it's truly sacred. So um, I did say yes in holy fear because there are some messages that are hard to hear from the mouth of a man if you're a woman or from the mouth of someone who has endured a struggle. Um, it just is more powerful than someone who doesn't know what they're talking about <laughs> around certain struggles. So um, I, I really believe that this morning there is something for everyone. Um, if you think that maybe this message doesn't apply to you, um, I invite you to set aside your baggage, your stage of life, or your preconceived notions, and really, really listen, though. Um, to those who have ears to hear, there is something for you today um, or for your future. So the public reading of Scripture, I think, is really powerful. Um, we spent a good deal of time in Ephesians this year at AVL and actually in the last couple of years. And I spent a lot of time in Ephesians 5, um, but I didn't really want to give up any of it because every single time I read it, I get something new and important and it stands out differently. But um, unfortunately, we would be here a very, very long time if we went to all of it. But we are going to read um, together Ephesians 5, and then we're going to circle back to a few parts of it. Right, so <clears throat> here we go. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse joke jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these things, for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Don't participate in these things that, the peop that people do, for once you were full of darkness, but now you're full of light from the Lord. So this, so live as people of light, for this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. 
Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It's shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret, but their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. And this is why it's said, Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So, be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. I feel like we've, we've kind of got that around here. We're getting there. And give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I know that was a lot, but that's not even all of it. But I couldn't give that up because I think the background is so important leading up to this next section. And there are actually some really important warnings in there as well that we need to hear sometimes. Because we somehow keep falling into these traps, don't we? Even among the body of Christ. So we're going to go ahead and go into the last section here about um, what we're going to focus on today. This is the word of the Lord, by the way. And further, after all of that, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit to their husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. He gave him his life up for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy without fault. In the same way, Husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of that body. As scripture says, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. This is the word of the Lord. So this year, Farron and I celebrated 20 years married. <laughs> yep. I met Farron in 2001 in Bible college. I was a graduating senior, and he was an incoming freshman transfer. I think somewhere in there I paid for seven years of college. I'm not sure. But um, I recently had come to terms that I was happy being single at that time. I, I know that all you unmarried people have had to wrestle with that question or will soon wrestle with it. Um, and I t finally told God, God, I know, I know what, if, 
if being single means I'm going to be um, able to love and serve you better, that's what I want. And uh, But if I'll be more influential in the world and will love you more being married, then that's what I want. That sounds very holy of me, doesn't it? Um, but uh, maybe a little naive. Uh, but within six months of that prayer, then enters Farron Cole. He was a man after God's own heart, on fire for Christ and passionate about ministry. And in short order, he was passionate about me. A year later, we were married and excited to live together following Christ. Our first year was a lot of adjustments. I had one sister, and he had one brother, and neither of us really fathomed the core differences between men and women. Our first argument was about where to put the bed in our apartment. I thought it should go under the window because it looked nicer there, and he thought it should go between the outlets on the other wall because that only made sense, of course. Uh, the argument ended with me in tears and Farron scratching his head and the, win the bed, of course, under the window. <laughs> I toughened up over that next year, or he, become more, he became more sensitive. I'm really not quite sure which it was. Um, I went from crying once a week to once a month to once a quarter to once a year. So we were doing really good, right? Once a year. That's really progress. <laughs> I recently chatted with a dear young man I know that um, had just gotten married, and I knowingly asked him, so how is the first year going? And uh, I said, do you make her cry a lot? And uh, he comically replied, she makes herself cry. <laughs> I'm used to myself that um, probably both statements are a little bit true. Farron and I stumbled along those first years, like most of us do, just copying the patterns around us for better or worse. Um, oh, and we did do premarital counseling. As a matter of fact, it's the same curriculum that we do here at AVL, and it was good and it was fine, but until you're married, it's just all academic, isn't it? And you very quickly forget everything you tried to learn, <laughs> and you just go back to the way that you're used to doing things, or the what you've seen around you, or what, how your parents did it, right? We thoughtlessly stumble along, knowing that something maybe isn't working quite right, but, aware, but not maybe aware that we've fallen asleep at the wheel. The word of the Lord. Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. I don't know about you, but uh, Farron and I have some silly rules about things. Um, one of those things is Farron does not like to hear about my dreams. Um, they're just really weird. I know some people have meaningful dreams, like uh, we heard this morning. <laughs> uh, I'm just not one of those people. My dreams always are just um, a combination of what I ate and how I'm generally feeling at that time, and Farron just doesn't want to hear about them. <laughs> so that's one of our silly rules. And don't worry, Farron, I'm not going to share one of them right now, so you're forced to listen. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I do have a superpower in this area. And we'll, well, I don't know if it's super, but you guys can decide for yourselves. Um, if I'm having a really weird dream, and I'm going along, and I suddenly, I'll suddenly have this like feeling in the dream like, this is just too weird. This cannot be real. And I'll become aware that this has got to be a dream, right? And um, so I'll be like, I'm done with this dream and start saying to myself, wake up, wake up, wake up. And um, I'll start saying out loud, 
at that point. And uh, <laughs> so when I say it out loud, I go, I, I go, wake up. And something comes out in real life, and Farron reaches over and says, Julie, Julie, wake up. It's just a bad dream. And I wake up, stay up for a little bit so I don't fall back to sleep. And uh, so my superpower is I can wake myself up from a bad dream. Yeah, it's true. But it really freaks Farron out because I, it's not even really, I usually don't say wake up. I'm usually like, ah, and <laughs> you know, or some other combination. And he's like not into that. But, um, <laughs> but I wonder if you have ever felt like you were going along in your life, doing all the things, going through the motions, and you just thought, gosh, this just can't be right. What am I doing wrong here? I keep doing the same things, thinking something's going to come back differently, and it just doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem like it's supposed to be this way. The word of the Lord. Awake, O sleeper. Rise up from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. So uh, what is it that the Lord wants us to do in marriage, right? Um, let's go back to the passage, and we're going to dissect a few parts of it. Uh, so the first part says, um, in Ephesians 5, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Well, I like that. We're both so, supposed to submit, right? That sounds very fair, even Stephen, right? Okay, okay. Submit to one another. Um, all right, so let's go to the next part. For wives. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is head of the church. He's savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ... So wives should submit to your husbands in everything. This is the word of the Lord. Um, so what does it mean to yield? So I want you to imagine that you come up to an intersection and there's a yield sign. Or what does submit mean? It means to yield. So yield means you come up to the road um, and you have this yield sign and the other person has the right of way, right? So they have the right-of-way, but they might sometimes wave you on, or they might go, and it's not because the other driver is innately of greater worth, it's not because it couldn't be fine for the first car to go, or the second car to go, or it could have been some other way, and it might be okay. But there's yield signs out there because there needs to be order. Disorder and confusion on the road causes wrecks frustration, and possibly death. So it only makes sense that God would design order for marriage too. I, th I do think it's interesting, though, I have to deviate a little bit, that it says submit to one another, out of so yield to one another, out of reverence for Christ, that sometimes we go, oh, no, you go first. Oh, no, you go first. Oh, no, you go first, right? That's yielding. Oh, well, what do you think? I don't know, what do you think? I think that's okay. Let's go with what you said. And, and there's a place for that. But um, I think it's interesting that it starts to describe these two different ways. So we're going to go back and we're going to look at um, 
the second part of the passage, for husbands. All right. So for husbands, this means love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. Hmm. He gave himself up for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies, for a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church, and we are members of that body. I really love how it spells out here what kind of love we're talking about. We're not talking about loving tacos. We're talking about the kind of love that Christ has for the church. It's a sacrificial love. It's a I-would-die-for-you kind of love, right? And it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful calling. And I think that actually many men would rise to it if we let them. And this is where I do have a tough word for specifically for women, for specifically for wives. How many of you, don't raise your hands right now, <laughs> how many of you have ever thought, man, I sure wish my husband would lead our family? I, I've certainly thought that at points in my life. I sure wish my husband would lead our family. Well, it's funny, though, isn't it? Um, sometimes we put out our hand, and then we just take it right back. And sometimes... Um, our husband tries to do a thing, and then we say, oh, well, not that way. That's not how we feed the kids. That's not how you should dress yourself. That's not how you fold the towels or whatever the thing is. I'm just saying. We are really good at saying we want something. We want our husbands to lead our family. But leaving zero margin for them to actually do it with a very special word. It's called control. I used to make the joke that I had three children at my home, <laughs> even though I just have two daughters. And I was insinuating that my husband was a child and that I was his mother. Well, guess what, ladies? Men are not sexually attracted to their mothers. I don't make that joke anymore. <laughs> and I don't treat my child like a husband, my husband like a child anymore. He is a grown man. He can dress himself, he can schedule his own day, and he can even drive a car, believe it or not. Um, and I'm willing to bet that yours can too. All right, we're going to move on. So, as the scripture says, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. You may have heard this part of it translated as the two become one flesh, um, and I had this moment of enlightenment this week uh, about this metaphor. I thought of other synonyms for what it was trying to describe, and it just kind of popped in my head that when it says two become one flesh, it might also be well stated here that the two become one life. One life. Two separate lives, two separate wills, no longer two lives or two wills, just one 
life now. And it's actually not really hard to know that this is totally true. Every decision that each member makes of a marriage affects that one life. No decision or direction, good or bad, leaves the other one unaffected. It's one joint life. The word of the Lord. This, one life, is a great mystery. But it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So, I, again I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must respect her husband. I think it's really interesting that it says, so again I say. Like he repeated the most important of this long passage. In case we didn't catch it, he says, each man must love his wife as he loves himself because she is his very own life. And that's why they say, happy wife, happy life. I, I know that's not in the Bible, but it's really true. If you have an unhappy wife, good luck with that happy life. <laughs> and the second part of that saying it again, he says, the wife must respect her husband because disrespect to the one who has the right of way on this joint life is to create disorder, chaos, and competition with the one that God has actually assigned to feed and care for you and that one life that you share. The one who's supposed to love and cherish you. I mean, it actually really sounds beautiful when you say it that way, when you paint it that way, when God painted it that way. When we marry, we covenant, we promise to love and respect, and that sounds all good and fine until the time comes to love a person who is acting unlovely or to respect a person who is acting in unrespectable ways, right? So I want to explain about a crazy cycle that you may have experienced yourself. Sometimes, hold on a second time. <clears throat> sometimes women, just sometimes, I don't, maybe not you, become controlling and disrespectful when they feel hurt and afraid that they're alone and unloved. And sometimes men withdraw and they act in unloving, defensive ways when they feel disrespected and controlled by the woman they love. And then that same woman who now feels hurt and afraid may become more controlling and disrespectful because she's just afraid that she's alone and unloved. And then that same man withdraws even more and acts even more unloving and defensive when he feels that disrespect from that controlling woman who just feels alone and unloved. And it becomes this spinning cyclone that we may or may not have experienced or witnessed in our own parents or witnessed in our friends as they recount the arguments they have. It's just a cyclone that spins and spins and spins and everyone's just like, man, I just really wish I could get off of this. And it causes a lot of destruction to not only themselves but to their family and um, their world, really. So... There's a prescription 
for this crazy cycle right here in the passage that we've been reading to dissipate that whirlwind when it starts up. Because it will. It will. And it's actually super simple. It says, husbands love your wives and wives respect your husbands. And what kind of love is it? It's sacrificial love. And what kind of respect is it? It's unconditional respect. But what does that even look like, and why do we have such a hard time doing it? Life is hard. But you know what? Marriage isn't really supposed to be. If it is, if your marriage is really hard right now, or all the time even, there's a good chance that one or both of you have kind of fallen asleep. The word of the Lord. Awake, O sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Marriage is supposed to be a beautiful representation of Christ and the church, his bride. It's supposed to be a connected and intimate love relationship that's characterized by sacrificial love and unconditional respect. But um, what about when a marriage is broken? What about when a husband betrays his wife or when he finds his wife really difficult to love, so he just shuts down and hides or, or vice versa? And what about when a wife hates her husband because... She believes he's a disappointment, not to be trusted with important things like parenting or finances, let alone her heart. Can anything be done? In 2009, I sat across the bed from my husband, and he looked me in the eyes, and he said the words of every woman's worst nightmare. I was unfaithful. My brain began to short circuit as I digested the words. And, I, and he got up and began to pack a bag. Um, and all I could say was, was, wait, wait, just wait. And I stumbled down the stairs and I collapsed on the living room floor and I began to wail. And uh, I in those few minutes after, I, I remember there were just a few words that kept rolling over in my mind. And I actually said them out loud as I cried. I want to wake up now. I want to wake up now. I want to wake up now. But, um, of course, I didn't because it wasn't a dream. It was my real life. Some of you know this kind of pain, this sort of betrayal. And um, to those of you who were left or who had to leave, I stand with you. To those of you who stayed for a little while and tried to work it out, um, I stand with you too. To those of you who are still working it out, I stand with you too. And for those of you who think you know what you would do in a situation like that, um, or who have judged another person who's made a hard decision in a time like that, I'm really glad you just don't know that pain, um, and I, I, I truly pray you never do. But I do invite you to try to understand that 
These are very complicated situations with no simple answers. And if a person is brave enough to try to work it out because they feel called to do that, I invite you to give them the space to decide what life they want to live with and what decisions they want to live with because they're the ones who have to live with it, whether they ultimately decide to stay or to go. God taught us a lot of lessons during those dark seasons of, and rebuilding process, um, too many to share here today, but I can summarize in this way our healing. My husband woke up. He chose to sacrifice all the parts of the sinful trap in which he found himself and turn to me, the wife of his youth, and love me sacrificially through my deep pain and in our process to heal. He chose to love me and to yield his own rights for a really long season. And as for me, there came a day when I had to surrender my fear and my paranoia and give my husband back my trust as an act of my will. I had to take responsibility for my own healing and my own sadness, and my own happiness. I had to put on new glasses to see my husband as a mere mortal, but also as the head of our one life. I had to choose to be respectful to him, even though his actions were not respectable at the lowest times. I became a detective of all things admirable in my husband, and I began to tell him so. I chose to help rebuild my husband into the man I knew him to be. And I did it with a powerful thing called unconditional respect. And maybe you can too. I invite you to consider one more truth about unconditional respect. Our world suggests that, to, that respect must be earned, right? But... Um, God's economy of things often seems backwards. In God's economy, a savior gives himself up to an ungrateful sinner so that by faith there can be redemption. In God's economy, yielding in deep respect to another person is extremely powerful. Respect is the oxygen that a sinful man desperately needs to rise to his calling. A man who's put in his place will often stay there. But a man granted respect and honor may rise to it. Earlier this week, a woman made a comment that I thought was profound. She shared that her ex, about her ex-husband and how she never spoke poorly of him in front of her children, even for all of his failings. And even decades later, they were able to find peace in their relationship and even grow in their own ways, even though they weren't together. Um, and that's a, just a little glimpse of respect doing its work, even in a sad scenario of abuse and divorce. Even after 20 years of being married to one man, I've even fallen asleep in recent years and didn't even realize the subtle disrespect, control, and criticism that I had let creep in, that I had fallen asleep on, and marriage kind of started to get hard again, a dear friend at the right moment was able to speak gentle truth that woke me up and allowed me to regain lost closeness and create a happier marriage than I've ever had before. 
It can happen many times during a marriage, especially during seasons of trial or hard work um, or parenting or pretty much all the hard parts about marriage, you know, sickness and health and richer and poorer. Um, it's just really hard sometimes. But uh, I used to believe that it takes two people to change a marriage, you know, like 50-50. It just seems right, right? But um, that's actually not what the Bible says. Uh, it's referenced in 1 Corinthians 7 if you ever want to go read about it. But it's powerful when one person cleans up their side of the street, when one person offers a fresh, sacrificial love or unconditional respect. It can totally change the course of a marriage, and it can give margin to the other person who may be in a weak place to stand up and be the person that their spouse married, or maybe a new person altogether that's yet to be discovered. But when marriage gets to the point when there's deep contempt for each other and each just refuses to yield, when neither one is willing to extend unconditional love and respect, they're really in big trouble and they've really fallen asleep. I know that there are certain things about what I've shared here today that will stand out to different people, um, but I do wanna give you one follow-up resource if, if you want um, to see about if there's a way you can contribute to fixing what might be going wrong in your marriage. And all you have to do is sometime when you're at home, Google the words love and respect. And this red and white book will pop up. And um, it's a super great resource that I found super helpful at a season of my life, um, regardless of what you're dealing with, whether your marriage has just kind of gotten meh or um, you really are in a dark place. Uh, it, c it really can change your perspective and give you some insight into changes you can make to your side of the equation that can get you a different total. If something today hit you kind of sideways, um, I just want to tell you that I hear your pain and I acknowledge that wherever you are at, whatever you've endured, um, I'm believing for awakenings for you too that maybe you didn't expect. I also want to invite you to find people in your life who are standing for your marriage. Not the friend who continues to man bash, not the relative who thinks you can do better. Find people who will stand with you for the relationship you want. Farron and I would be happy to listen and support or point you in the right direction. Find, find people that you can talk to and trust that will help you find ways to show love towards your wife or respect toward your husband in a way that you're struggling. Because I'll tell you what, one of the things I really have learned is I thought I was being respectful and I didn't see the little ways that I wasn't being. And I think men think they're loving their wives, but for some reason it's just not landing right. So I think we just need a little help sometimes to see the way a man or a woman sees that you don't and to bring someone else into it to give you a little nudge. If you've walk, been walking around asleep for a while, it can be kind of hard to wake up. And one message is not gonna fix that. If you do feel right now that the Lord is calling you to wake up, oh sleeper, open your eyes. Christ is ready to shine on you. And just remember, 
that we do have a God of resurrection power. Let's pray. Father God, I know you to be such a great God who can take ashes, complete ashes, and turn them into a beautiful, redemptive story. And God, I pray now that as your spirit works in the hearts of husbands and wives and future husbands and wives and people who've been deeply hurt in marriages, I pray, God, that you would stir something new, that you would open their eyes to wake from the sleep that they may be in, that you would show them new ways to show up in their world, new ways to turn from their flesh and turn to the spirit who does things just opposite sometimes. I pray, God, that you would empower us in our marriages not to be like the world, but instead to be completely sacrificially loving and unconditionally respectful in our relationships in a way that will look like Jesus and his bride. God, you are so good and patient with us. You are so sacrificially loving and you invite us to more. And I pray, God, that you would give us breakthrough and that we would seek it and that you would reward those awakenings with deliverance. We love you and we pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.